Hi, this is Stuart Weems and welcome to the Investopoly podcast. My goal is to give you simple, easy to understand strategies, insights and tips to help you master the game of building wealth. And in this episode, I'd like to talk about the best alternatives to term deposits. Now, obviously, term deposit rates have been falling over the years and they're currently ranging anywhere between 1% and 2%. So they're barely keeping up with inflation. And if the RBA cuts rates as they expected to uh, this year, either one or, or two more times, uh, rates are going to fall even further. And if the, if the majority of economists and commentators are correct in that will be in a very low to no interest rate or zero interest rate environment for a longer period of time, then at some point, uh, more and more investors are going to start considering what else do they do with their cash other than invest in term deposits. Um, but I find in the conversations that I've been having over the last year or so in respect to this, that there's one massive mistake that people make, and that's what I'd like to talk about. Now, even if you don't have term deposit investments, you know, say if you're in your 30s or 40s, you're probably not really investing a lot of money in term deposits, uh, rightly so. Uh, it's something to keep your eye out, particularly if you've got um, parents that are in retirement uh, and they've got cash, uh, more likely than not they've got their monies in term deposits. So something you might be able to uh, help them with, at least steering them in the right direction. Uh, so what's the number one mistake? Well, in my opinion, you cannot talk about returns without also talking about risk. You've almost got to speak about the two things in the same breath. And uh, uh, legendary investor Ben Graham, who's really um, regarded as the father of value investing uh, and taught Warren Buffett at university, uh, said, and I quote, the essence of investment management is the management of risk, not the management of returns. Uh, so that's really a, a very important quote, I think, uh, from what someone from uh, possibly one of the best investors uh, ever to live on the face of the earth. That it's all about risk management rather than returns management. And I think this highlights the number one mistake: is that people, uh, and particularly retirees, focus almost only on returns without any regard uh, to risk. And quite often when people think about term deposits, it's very tempting for them to start thinking, well, maybe I should just invest in shares. As I talked about in my podcast last week, or I used the example, Westpac at the moment, its grossed up yield, dividend yield is 10%. And when you compare 10% income uh, from dividends in Westpac shares uh, to term deposit rates, you know, it looks relatively tempting. But... Now think about it, term deposits are a risk, almost a risk-free investment, particularly if you've got uh, uh, 250 with a um, ADI, a, a approved deposit institution, a bank, as they're guaranteed by the government. So really it's a risk-free uh, investment. However, shares have a lot of volatility and volatility, in my view, is uh, tantamount to risk because volatility is uh, really describes uh, how likely will the return be uh, the projected return meet your expectations and uh, shares have a volatility rate of 18 to 25 percent which means that the standard deviation of the returns is 18 to 25 percent so if the expected return is 10 percent you know you, your your actual return on any one year can be anywhere in the range of negative 15 to positive 35 
uh, and that's a big range. Uh, and that, to me, feels like a risky asset, certainly in the short term. Uh, notwithstanding that, the market could crash as well. So we could go, oh, let's go invest in Westpac shares. Either Westpac has some massive problems, uh, or more massive problems, I should say, or the market crashes and you, know, you lose a lot of your capital. Uh, so the common mistake is to avoid or, or, or not give consideration to risk. Uh, and so, for example, if you had a retiree that had, say, uh, 35% of their money is in safe assets, in uh, term deposits, and let's say 65% in risky assets, so shares, if they then turn around and say, look, of that 35%, it's not really generating more money, let's put it into shares because at least I'm going to get 10% versus 2% in term deposits, I'm actually better off. Well, now you've got all your money invested in more risky assets and uh, and that's not necessarily a prudent thing for do, particularly for someone in retirement. At some point, capital preservation becomes more important than investment returns and that is that avoiding losing money is justifiably more important than making money and that would be true, uh, again, particularly for people that are in or closer to retirement. And Telstra is a really good example. You know, historically, um, people, investors have been attracted to investing in Telstra primarily for its high dividend yield. Uh, and it's been touted as, you know, for self-managed super funds in particular, what a great stock. Here it is. And over the past 10 years, the grossed up dividend yield has been somewhere between 5 and 7, 5 and 10%. And for most of the time, around about the midpoint, seven, seven and a half percent. So it's been a good um, income generating share. However, a, a good example is Spareforth for people that invested in Telstra in 2015 when they were trading at close to or above six dollars. Uh, the investor that did that has lost 35 percent of its value of their value of capital value and may never recover that amount again. In fact, I would say it's highly unlikely they will. So sometimes chasing returns, or not sometimes, I should say all the time chasing returns without any consideration of risk is a recipe for disaster. It's a, it, there's a, there's a, a, a big chance that you're all we're going to do is just make mistakes. Okay, so let's then think about what are the alternatives to investing in term deposits if what we're chasing is firstly an income style asset that has low capital risk. If that's the um, the brief, for example, which is typically the brief when that drove people to invest in turn deposits, what are the alternatives? Well, I've got five for you, but before I jump into that, um, a few things just to clarify. Firstly, I'm going to talk about them in risk in in order of risk, so low risk to high risk. Um, uh, secondly, it's likely that the best solution for you is a combination of some or all of these alternatives rather than necessarily picking one. Uh, thirdly, it's not an exhaustive list. Uh, there may be other alternative investments that might, might suit your situation even better. These are merely just examples. And lastly, please don't act upon this advice or information in this podcast alone. It's important that you get some independent personalised uh, advice to make sure uh, that what you're doing is appropriate. Okay, so let's get into it. Five options. The first one is investment grade corporate bonds. So with um, central banks cutting official uh, interest rates around the world, government and treasury bonds are really um, providing very low yields. 
government yields in Australia are just over 1%, and frankly, you're probably better off investing in a term deposit uh, than a government or treasury bond at this stage. And as I said, interest rate expectations for the future aren't that optimistic, so it doesn't look like that's going to change anytime soon. Uh, therefore, we have to look to the corporate sector in order to generate a higher income. And investment-grade corporate bonds are relatively low-risk uh, investments, especially for an investor that holds them through to maturity. You know, you buy a bonded issue at a, with a face value of $100, and if you hold it through to maturity, you'll get your $100 back. Uh, so really no change in capital, and you'll pick up the coupon, which is really the interest rate, uh, along the way You know, the, for the term of the the bond. Uh, a bond is a very simple investment. It's more like a loan to the market. So a, um, um, a very low risk listed entity, be it, let's say Telstra, for example, will sell a bond to the market. It's a way of them raising debt. Uh, and they might sell a bond for $100 and agree to pay you back that $100 in five years time. And between now and then pay you a coupon of, say, 5%, uh, for example. Uh, there haven't been any investment-grade rated bond defaults uh, in Australia, at least in the last 30-plus uh, years. Uh, so it's very unlikely that, uh, or at least your, your capital is relatively stable. Um, but more important, there are a few different index fund providers, uh, such as Russell, BetaShares and Vanguard, are probably the, the three that, um, that are most common or I most commonly use. And they're yielding the range of 35 to 4% in terms of income. Uh, and, and as I said, their capital is relatively relatively stable. Um, the income of 35 to 4% is linked to, indirectly linked to the RBA cash rate. So if the RBA reduces rates, uh, those rates will come down as well. In terms of picking the right index bond fund, corp Australian corporate bond index fund, uh, there's a couple of things to watch out for. The first one is uh, concentration risk. So you need to look at their indexing methodology uh, and you don't want to have too many bonds in one particular issuer. Uh, and depending on the methodology, that can sometimes be an issue. Uh, excuse the pun. And uh, secondly, you need to understand uh, the uh, whether the bonds are fixed or floating coupons and the duration within the portfolio, uh, which is a term I've got a link uh, to explain that better. Uh, because that will have an impact on the, the capital price. So some uh, some bond funds will have a really strong negative correlation with equities and, and others will have uh, less so. So it's really important that you understand what you're investing in and how it's going to behave in different market conditions. So that's the first one, corporate uh, investment grade corporate bonds, 35 to 4%. The next one is hybrid securities, and you're going to get around about 4% of income there. Uh, Hybrid securities are typically issued by the Australian banks and they're essentially a cross between an equity and a bond. Uh, so it might have the features of a bond at the beginning and with the, the ability for uh, the issuer to convert that bond into shares if they want rather than repay the bond. Um, each security will have its own unique terms and conditions and really as such no two hybrid securities are the same. Um, and so they can vary in terms of risk and return. Uh, so you really need to be an expert in that area. And so to accommodate these risks, I typically prefer to use active investment management when investing in hybrid securities, as opposed to indexing, which I usually advocate. And the reason for that is that, you know, securities need to be assessed and valued um, individually to work out whether if they're worth investing in. 
um, that is, are you rewarded, adequately rewarded for the risk that you're taking? Um, uh, historically, hybrid securities have one third of the volatility of shares, so much like bonds. So their capital value is relatively stable and you'll pick up that coupon uh, coupon rate. I've got a link uh, in the show notes to the fund that I uh, am quite fond of that BetaShares run. Um, the third is global infrastructure. You know, infrastructure involves in investing in businesses that own or operate, you know, high-cost assets such as toll roads, communication assets, electrical systems, and so forth. Um, and uh, these investments uh, usually generate a predictable and stable income, particularly in a low interest rate environment. And I say a low interest rate environment because these infrastructure um, vehicles tend to hold a reasonable portion of debt because they're investing in high-cost assets. Um, and I believe that infrastructure will uh, attract quite a bit of investment over the next period of time, particularly if economies are worried about a global slowdown because um, given governments have exhausted a lot of monetary policy initiatives such as cutting interest rates and quantitative easing and these sorts of things, in order to stimulate the economy from here, we're going to need governments to start to spend. Uh, that is loose in fiscal policy, which usually means spending on infrastructure. And Australia's, uh, in the last few months, uh, is, is a good example of that. Infrastructure investments have historically paid a stable income around about 3.5%, with relatively low volatility. And returns in infrastructure indexes uh, have been over 13% in the last uh, 10 years. Uh, so you, there's a chance there you'll pick up some some growth as well as the income. Um, the things to look out for is level of diversification, both in terms of sector and geography. Uh, and then secondly, currency hedging, because if you want diversification with geography, you're going to have to invest in uh, international infrastructure assets. Uh, again, you can do this through index, uh, index funds. Again, you need to be concerned about the diversification and currency hedging regimes of those funds. Uh, the fourth option is global real estate, which is really investing in real estate investment trusts and companies, or the term is REITs uh, as the acronym. Uh, and they're really listed entities that generate most or all of their profit from rental income. So really holding uh, commercial assets and renting them to tenants. Um, uh, and as I said, they tend to be listed companies in developed markets. Uh, because these sorts of companies, again, hold reasonable large amounts of debt, uh, in a low or, or zero interest rate environment, they tend to perform even better, uh, and, and particularly in terms of income, but also uh, capital value. I, I uh, tend to avoid Australian uh, REITs uh, because they typically have too much retail property, particularly on a look-through basis, you know, when you really pull them apart, uh, they might have close to 50% of retail and that's not, uh, well, we all know what's happening in the retail sector and we probably don't want too much exposure to that. Uh, international REITs have uh, historically paid a stable income around about 4%, again, with relatively low volatility. 10-year returns of income plus growth have been over 12% over the last 10 years, so again, uh, tend to pick up a bit of uh, a bit of growth there, and the things to look out for are very similar to infrastructure. It's the same diversification and currency hedging. So that's a fourth option: global real estate. This, the fifth is high yielding shares. Now I know that I said at the beginning of this that high yielding shares aren't necessarily a good proxy for um, term deposits, particularly because they have high volatility. 
And that is true. One way to mitigate some of that risk is to use a high-yielding index fund rather than just picking shares like a Telstra and so forth or a Westpac. Um, and there are a couple of different index providers, uh, Vanguard, BetaShares and iShares, that have high-yielding Australian share products that will typically hold anywhere from 20 to 60 companies and they'll generate a grossed-up dividend yield of 5 to 10% depending on the product and so forth. Again, I'd be very cautious uh, about uh, putting a lot of money in something like that, particularly if uh, if you're heavily or deep into retirement, because, uh, again, you're taking money out of a low-risk or no-risk asset and putting it into a high-risk asset. Uh, so they're the five options. I'll just go through them again. Uh, investment-grade bonds, 3 to 35 to 4%. Hybrid securities, uh, 4%. Global infrastructure, 3.5%. Global real estate, 4%. And high-yielding shares, 5 to 10%. The final thing or thought I will leave you with is chasing. Be careful about chasing income or building an asset allocation purely around chasing income because it can result in a higher risk approach. Uh, Instead, the better thing to do is is target a combination of uh, capital and income returns. Um, and over time, you might start eating to some um, savings because they're not. It's not generating your portfolio's not generating enough income alone. But sometimes that can still be a better um, a better approach. And I've got a link to a blog that I wrote a few years ago in respect to that to sort of um, expand on that point. Okay, so to sum up, in a low or even zero interest rate environment, more and more people are going to move away from term deposits. I think. Uh, and understandably so, there's lots of different good alternatives, probably a combination of some of the things that I've spoken about uh, tend to will, or will likely be the, the best approach. Um, of course, you cannot talk about returns without also talking about risk. You need to consider those two things together, and that's the, the probably the number one thing that, uh, that I want to leave with you. And remember what Ben Graham said, the essence of investment management is inv- is management of risk, not management of returns. Of course, if you need help, don't hesitate to reach out to us. And until next week, bye for now.